You're tuning in to Lovecraft Country Radio. There's some strong language and spoilers ahead. Buckle up. I realize I started my month. It's okay. Hey, no big deal. Downstairs. Woo! All right. So, uh, that happened. That happened. We, we saw that. We did. We saw it. We liked it. I think we liked it. I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. Yes, I did. Yes, yes, yes. I think primarily we just experienced a spiritual and sexual awakening that I know will mark me for the rest of my life. I am inclined to agree. I, I feel we are bonded now, <laughs> yes. uh, true sisters, in the ever long and and just never ending love of this particular sex scene. Yeah, I think that that's true. We have some shit to unpack, right? We have some we things. Do. Let's get started. This is episode three, Holy Ghost. Right. Welcome to Lovecraft Country Radio. I'm Ashley C. Ford, podcast host, writer, and horror enthusiast. And I'm Shannon Houston, a writer for the HBO series Lovecraft Country and mother to three free Black children. Amen. Okay, Shannon, we've got a lot to talk about today. <laughs> I know we both love talking about this show, obviously, but we have some friends that love to talk about this show, too. And I think it's time we bring one of them on. I couldn't agree more, Ashley. Later in this episode, we're going to call up writer Daniel Jose Older. Daniel is a fantasy writer whose writing credits include Star Wars. And this is a really amazing fun fact. Daniel is also responsible for taking down H.P. Lovecraft himself. Um, I can't wait to welcome him on to the show. Listen, I know the story. I can't wait for you to hear that story. I'm so psyched. I can't wait to talk about this with Daniel. Until then, let's get into it, Shannon. Okay, so everyone should know this at this point. I'm not the biggest horror, gushy, um, body parts falling out baby heads <laughs> on big body monster. I'm not that girl. Um, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. This episode was jam-packed with horror, but Ashley, I need your help. Help, please. I loved this episode for so many reasons. It made me deeply emotional in ways that I didn't expect, which is, you know, good for a TV show. But, I mean, I I really didn't expect. <sighs> We're going to start with a quick recap. In this episode, we've got Letty purchasing a house in a predominantly white and racist part of town that she soon discovers is haunted! Yay! We've got ghosts. Then she goes full detective with Atticus trying to piece together the horrific history of this house. Yes, so this is really our Letty episode, which means it's also our Journey Smollett episode. Oh, yes. Um, give her her things. Give her her fucking things. Immediately. Something that we focused on in the writer's room was this idea of taking a performative character and bringing them into something real. So we always talked about Letty as 
an activist with good intentions, but somebody who's performative in her nature a lot of the mm-hmm. time. Um, and she uses that to her advantage. So we want to talk about taking somebody who's moved through life as a ghost, so to speak, uh, never fully being her authentic self with herself and with others. And we wanted to put that person in a situation where they had to face themselves and they had to face their literal fucking ghost. Um, <laughs> so Letty is really who's guiding us through a lot of the themes that we're going to talk about today. Yes, yes, she is. And boy, does she do an amazing job. I think you're absolutely right that it is imperative that we give Journey Smollett her things. She is such an amazing actress and has been one for so long. And I just feel like with this character, I'm really getting to see how good she is in so many different facets. So I love that. I love that this is the Letty episode. You know who else I love? Who whom else? Dracula. <gasps> and Dracula yes. is all up in this episode. So I noticed very early on in the story that Dracula was being used through the character of Letty as well. Because um, that's how we get into one of the major themes of this episode, which was resurrection. Mm-hmm. And Dracula... It's a very direct horror element, okay? It's a vampire. It is a hundreds-year-old dead person who drinks the blood of living people to stay alive and is powerful and can fly and in some cases can turn into a bat and some cases can turn sparkly and make you fall in love with them just depending on what kind of vampire we're talking about. My only real concept, like really, when I see Dracula, when I hear Dracula, I'm like, oh yeah, Buffy season five. (laughs) Fucking the Dracula episode. Ashley, you got to get into this. It was so good. Dracula was so hot. I felt so many different emotions. Um, I know, you know, there are many Draculas, and I know you know the original and the literary Dracula better than me. I so do. I'm going to let you keep diving in, but I just want to say <laughs> shout out to Buffy season five, hot Dracula. It was everything. You know, throughout history, there have been a lot of hot Draculas. And Amen. if we're going to call Letty a Dracula, she gets added to that side of the canon. She is absolutely a hot Dracula. The story of Dracula, as we're seeing played out in this episode, and actually it starts last episode. Right. That we get into that Dracula thing because that is when Letty died. Yes, and it's easy to forget that. You know, we see her at the top of this episode in that incredible church scene that we'll talk about later. Um, And we know that something is weighing on her. And in the room, we had to constantly remind ourselves, this is a character who died. Right. Uh, She was brought back to life, but she died. And in episode two, when you see her run into the bathroom and she's wrecked with grief, that is her literally coming back to life and realizing I was dead and now I'm alive, and I don't have any concept of what that means. And so what what about that experience for Letty reminds you of Dracula? You know, I think the biggest thing that it reminds me of is that when the undead are reborn as vampires in horror, and then as you see Letty be reborn, there is this craving to consume life. Oof. 
And Letty has come out of this death ravenous for life. Yes. And in feeling disconnected from it, as a vampire would, also performing humanity. Ooh. Because she doesn't actually feel connected to it yet. She hasn't found her way back to it yet. The only difference here in my mind between Letty and a vampire, you know, that despite the, you know, the blood thing, which I'm using as a metaphor here, is that she can get back. Yes. There is a way for her to get back. But everybody knows that much like human death, vampires cannot die. It's just the rule. It is an inverse rule once you're on the other side of that thing. And so it's almost like in this episode, she is reaching for what feels impossible because who's ever heard of a vampire becoming a living person again? Oh, I love that. I love the impossibility of what she's up against. And I feel like that's what's weighing over her. And we've used the word resurrection. She Mm -hmm. was resurrected in this, like, kind of completely fucked up way. But she's been resurrected almost into a ghost, right? Like, she's not made flesh yet. She's not fully human. So she's doing that thing you're talking about. She's reaching. She's trying different things to make that connection and kind of, like, performing a humanity. And you can sort of see that happening, like, at the Winthrop house and this, like, energy that she has. We're buying a house. This is the house. We're going to change the neighborhood. We're pioneering. Ruby and I are going to be, like— best big and little sister again or something. And then, of course, we see this incredible sex scene that you and I both really Mm. enjoyed. Um, Yes, we did. This is also an example of Letty's desire to feel something or feel lots of different things. Um, And it's playing out in this episode. How how are we feeling about it? I'm personally feeling quite good about this decision on Letty's part. Well, let me tell you, I think Letty has made a great choice Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think this is a fantastic choice. I think sometimes you got to get it on to get down. And I really, really love the way she went about it. I'm not going to lie. I think that was a very powerful moment for her and a powerful moment for Atticus. You know, they have this moment and... You know, like, and then there's this blood, which does not scare him. Mm. You know what I mean? He is curious, but he is not afraid. He really could have punked out in that moment, and he didn't act like a punk. And I just felt in that blood, like that blood was like the evidence of a broken barrier. Right? It was the aftermath of the push through into life or into connection or into intimacy. Like, Whatever it was, it was this broken barrier that will not be made over. It will not ever be what it was. And that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. okay. And I agree. Because the barrier needed to be broken. It needed to be broken. Amen. She wanted it. And it needed to be because she wanted it to be. I agree. Atticus becomes like 38% sexier by not making a big deal of the blood like that's what I'm looking for. I don't know. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I was yes. into it. Um, also, like, 
First of all, the party was just fucking fun. Like, we're all stuck in our houses. I was like, I want a party. I want to go to a party. Why am I not at this party? Everybody at this party is hot. I want to sleep with Letty. I want to sleep with Atticus. (laughs) I want to sleep with the band members. I want to sleep with Hippolyta. Like, everybody. But yes, this is also an emotional scene. Just before we see Tick in the doorway, we also see one of the ghosts, which I love. Um, So there's also this connection between Letty and Tick's first time together and Letty being literally haunted in this house. Oh, yeah. Haunted in the house. Haunted by the fact that performances catch up with you eventually. Mm. You can't perform forever. Like, at some point, you're going to break. You're going to bust out of that. Because the truth of the matter is, like, sending your representative ahead of yourself, you know, which is performing, is like sending a hologram. That's not a real person. Eventually, right. somebody's going to put their hand through that shit. <laughs> Eventually, somebody's going to figure out that something in the milk ain't clean. Eventually, somebody's going to see the thinness here, right? The people who help Letty to to see this side of herself, the way that she discovers that she is being performative to a degree, it starts with the ghosts. Like, yes. they are actually a part of her journey. So these aren't just scary ghosts for the sake of being scary ghosts. We actually, they all have a story. They're all people and bodies that have been basically done wrong to a degree. So Letty confronts the realtist, uh, Jerome mm-hmm. J. Jackson. Um, yes. I mean, is, is that not, is that like the blackest, blackity black name of all? Jerome J. Jackson. Uh, I might know him. <laughs> you know him. I might know him. You know I'm Jerome. I'm pretty sure I do. I'm pretty sure I went to middle school with him. You sure did. Um, you and me both. She She confronts him to find out who owned the house before she did, and he lets it slip that it's called the Winthrop House. So now we have all these questions. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of questions. Letty's arrested by Lancaster, the cop. He questions her about her knowledge of the Winthrop House. Um, And this is where we find out that the body parts of eight Black people were discovered in what she's now using as her dark room, and we find out about the last owner, Hiram Epstein, this fucking creepy scientist so creepy. who was fired from the University of Chicago for experimenting on people. Um, in that epic scene, she finds this photo of Lancaster with Hiram and oh, yeah. believes that he supplied Hiram with black people who are featured in these missing persons reports. So she's doing her own research to figure out what the hell is going on in this house. Let's take a minute to just talk about creepy scientists and the history of creepy scientists, creepy doctors in America. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah. A lot of creepy doctors, a lot of stuff like that going on. As a matter of fact, right here in New York, we have a statue of a doctor known for using black women's bodies as experiments Mm. to iron out any kinks uh, before attempting them on white women. And, you know, that's just in Manhattan. (laughs) There's a long history of black bodies being used for medical experimentation. We're talking about the Tuskegee experiments, Henrietta Lacks, gynecology as a rule. Yep. Okay? Very much founded on what happened to Black women's bodies. Um, We're considered disposable in the eyes of science and were for a very long time. I'm not saying that that's still the case. Um, Hopefully it's not, but for a very long time, it was the case. Um, And Deidre Cooper Owens is a historian who coined the term medical superbodies to describe how Black women who were enslaved were looked at. The medical industry is racist as fuck to this day. Yes. We know that. Yeah. We know that. But how do we see it in this episode, right? 
one of the ways that you see it almost immediately is in how these bodies have been disposed, where they would have been disposed. The fact that obviously the families who lost these family members never got any resolution to figure out where their people were or how to bury them um, or dispose of their remains in their own traditions and in their own ways. So you have that versus Tick (laughs) trying to kill Christina. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) And being told you have to be smarter than this. You can't just go around killing white white women. women. Call me when you're ready to learn more about our family legacy. And Tick, really, you have to be smarter than this. No, you can't just go around killing white women. And the resignation to that fact. How much is her magic external Mm. and how much of it is already inside the person? You know what I mean? Activated by the shit she's saying here. And I think what's so, like, what hurts about that line is you know it's true. You Mm -hmm. know that eight... Black people can go missing in a town, and it could have been in the 50s, it could be today. And there wouldn't be much pomp and circumstance about it unless Black people made it so. And then this literally evil white woman knows that she cannot be killed so simply, that, that for Atticus to even pull his gun out is almost like an act of suicide in and of itself. Right. So Christina is like terrifying and amazing because she's so confident and she's not wrong. And that's part of where her confidence comes from. Like she knows who she is. She knows her place in this society for better or worse. And she will use that to her advantage as much as she needs to. So that line is like weirdly funny, but also just like, holy shit. That's right. You can't just go around killing white women. It's the absurdity. Yeah. It's the absurdity. Yes. So we have Letty grappling with her physical and spiritual self right now. We have these ghosts that live in her home. You can't help but connect all of that to her relationship with religion. Uh, Mm -hmm. We literally see her in a church in the first scene. I love that scene so much. I love that audio so much. Hey, Lay, what did you do to make a mark on this world? What mountains did you climb? Which angels gave you their wings? Which skies have you flown? And when you reached the heavens, who was there to catch you when you fell? And did they tell you that you saved them too? Like you saved me? So I want to talk a little bit about how we see the ways she maneuvers through her religion and spirituality and how that connects to, like, bigger themes in the show. Oh, absolutely. Because Letty, I mean, she's resurrecting Mm. people who she has only just begun to communicate with, but they ultimately help her in this final act of resistance against Hiram. And it is 
such an amazing moment to have her call on those spirits in her time of need and have them show up so completely and in assisting her um, find themselves whole again in a certain sense. Yes. Okay, so I think this is the perfect conversation to have with Daniel Jose Older. Don't you agree, Ashley? I do agree. Let's bring him in. Yes. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Hi, Daniel. I'm very happy to be here. I love this show. I'm excited to talk about it. (laughs) I know you are. (laughs) Yes, we're so excited to have you. First, I need to hear the details on this whole, like, bringing down H.P. Lovecraft. Please tell me everything. So I wrote a I wrote an essay about Lovecraft. It was one of my first uh, published essays. Uh, it was on BuzzFeed, and just about you know how racist he was and how messed up he was, and and also just grappling with his work and its and its legacy. And and I was like, you know, this dude is the statue. He is the face, the literal face of the World Fantasy Award, which is like one of science fiction and fantasy's Oscars. You know, like it's really a huge prize to win as a writer. And that's just so messed up. And people have been talking about how messed up it is for a long time. Um, but I started a petition that said we should put Octavia Butler in instead. Um, because we should, you know. Because, Hard agree. Because we should. Octavia Butler should be everywhere. Every, every writer I know has been inspired by her. I know I owe so much to her. Like, she is so huge in, in my own career, my own inspiration. So, you know, I was like, that's who it should be. And um, it got a lot of traction <laughs> and it went international and it really upset a lot of people, which was amazing. The right people. And um, we love it. Here, yeah. So then that year I was nominated for a World Fantasy Award. So I actually got to go to the ceremony to watch them very awkwardly announce. So, um, you know, as it happens, <laughs> that Lovecraft won't be the face of the World Fantasy Award. <laughs> and I got a lot of hate mail about it. And I'm very happy that it happened. And here we are. Yes. Amen. Amen. And I feel like there's a connection between that and also what we're seeing Letty go through in episode three, meaning like right. what what you take from different religions, spirituality, beliefs, like what we talked about earlier is Letty is using a lot of different tools to figure out what's going on, to get these ghosts out of her house, to also like grow as mm-hmm. a person. So let's talk a little bit about Letty and spirituality and like your your understanding and your experience of this episode. I felt very moved by that scene just in that, first of all, the creepy stuff was so creepy, right? And then we get to this really <laughs> triumphant moment that like, we I feel like we felt it coming for the whole episode and then it just explodes mm. outward. And, you know, she really does call on the ancestors to lift her up. And that's just such an explicitly empowering thing into itself because the history of the ghost story is always the ghosts of the past coming to kill us, you know, and we're supposed to fear our ancestors and they eat our brains and hide in closets and everything else. But like so many of us, so many people of color, you know, come up in households that in one tradition or another honor our ancestors, you know, like we have an altar up in my house and we hang out with them. When we cook, they get food. When we are confused, we smoke cigars and ask them for help. And that's what it is. You know what I mean? So to see that, that's always what I've tried to honor in my own work is like really creating a counter narrative to the ghost story where the ancestors literally lift us up. And that's really what we see happening. Like she is fighting Mm -hmm. fire with fire 
but in such a powerful and empowering way. It's tremendous. Yeah, and there's a reciprocal nature, right? Mm -hmm. She's giving something back to the ghosts, and they're giving something back to her. I love that. And right, they're healed. Like, they're explicitly healed by the work that she does with them. And I feel like that's another thing we don't talk a lot about is that, like, spirituality, whatever system you practice, Mm. is a conversation, right? It's not just you being dictated to from on high, which I think is how we see it a lot, and particularly in Western traditions. But like, we're always in conversations with our spirits, you know, like the creative process is a spiritual conversation. Like anytime that we pray, we're listening Mm. and we're speaking and we're giving back and we're taking. And that's always, you know, but it's not transactional necessarily. It's not like, just like, oh, you pay something and then you get something. Like that's a very capitalist model. But conversational is different, right? Like she's in conversation with those spirits and it's a conversation about healing. Yes, I love it. And Ashley, we were talking before about like the things Black people don't touch. And if you grew up Christian, like I grew up Baptist, I'm not in the church anymore. But if you grow up with certain traditions, ghosts and spirits, and it's so like, it's so bizarre because it's like, there's a million ghosts in the Bible. There's one really important ghost who literally died for us all. But it's like, we still, we don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. He came back flesh. It's not creepy at all. It's fucking creepy. It's wonderful, but it's creepy. Let's talk a little bit about that too. Like the things that we're afraid of. Yeah. One of the things that I noted in the show was this group of black kids playing with a Ouija board because I immediately in my mind was like, oh, this is where they jump the shark because black kids (laughs) don't play with Ouija boards. You know what I mean? And that, and then that the Ouija board would then say, George is dead. Yo. Like that is what (laughs) the Ouija board said. And it was not only terrifying, it was really hard for me to even fathom that it could happen. And I just, I know that like, you not only have a personal history, but you have, I think, a really deep knowledge um, period of like spirituality and like having those conversations with other people about spirituality. Because when you come from a background or when you talk to people about your spiritual background and it's not the dominant one in like the community, it can be, people's reactions can be intense. And they can be scared and all of those things. Where do you think that comes from? Like, why are we so afraid of the spiritual realm? Why are we so afraid of the idea that we interact with the spiritual realm and that the spiritual realm interacts with us? Well, I I will say, I think some of it, in terms of like specifically the ghost story always being a horrible thing, I do think a lot of that has to do with being afraid of the past and like, having shame around history, whether that's shame over how fucked up your people have been or how fucked up your people got by Mm. the people who were being fucked up. There's all different levels of shame that I think history has taught us to feel. And that is like personified by the ghost. Like the ghost is literally history walking with us, you know, in a very real way. And like how we relate to our own history has so much to do with how we understand ghosts. I also think there's a level in Latin America, particularly where like, anti-blackness plays such a strong role in the way that uh, Mm. people perceive different religions, right? So there's like this common saying that like a lot of folks in Cuba or in Brazil are like, 
And like Cuba is like 100% Catholic, but also 100%, you know, Santero, right? Mm. Like folks will be practicing their full religion and also doing stuff on the side, but they won't be admitting it. And they'll mark off Catholic on the census or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like they'll go to the Babalao <laughs> as soon as shit gets real and fucked up. Right. And they'll be doing all that work. You know what I mean? Like when I was a medic, we would go into people's houses who would swear up and down. They are 100% Catholic. Don't mess with that shit at all. They will have their ancestors up. You know, I remember explicitly we, we came in one time. This guy was dead. Literally, his heart had stopped and his ancestor altar was all types of dusty and messed up and left behind. And like he was one of those dudes that should have come back to life. You know, we were working him up. Nothing was working. We were throwing all kinds of meds at him. And I just walked over to the ancestor altar and I went... Go get your guy. Mm. And then I left the room to make a phone call <laughs> to call one of the doctors to get some more meds. I walked in. The dude was alive. Oh, <laughs> dude had a my pulse. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, come on, Mayhemte. <laughs> get it together. Like, take care of your altars. Like, your altars will take care of you if you take care of them. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, yo, we it's wow. anti-blackness is deep in our communities. You know what I mean? And it really causes people to fall off on their spiritual practice on the strength of thinking that they're, like, following this one you know, white God, and it's messed up. Yeah, that's so interesting, you know, bringing up how race plays a part in that. And Ashley and I have talked about the traditions of the Black church and how within those traditions, there's like this, this a lot of fear is is wrapped up in that. And there's also joy, like, you know, again, mm-hmm. to go back to that opening scene, right. what's powerful is like Letty is watching everybody else basically catch the spirit and her head is bowed and this incredible um, audio was playing over. We're hearing the voice of uh, Precious Ebony, who I love, is speaking to us. Mm -hmm. So there's also this like the voice of a trans black woman telling the story of another trans woman Mm. over Letty witnessing the Holy Ghost occurring in front of her, but she can't quite get to it. And she doesn't know how to get to it, partly because she herself is a ghost, you know, or a Dracula or, you know, like all of these things are happening. Um, But what was so cool, what I was excited about in the room was when we decided that our characters needed to seek out magic too and magic from Mm. Black people, right? Like Letty's, part of Letty's response is, okay, these white people have magic, they're haunting houses. They're right. showing up in my photographs. Right. Black people got magic, too. Right. You know, she went to the church, and she's not quite getting it there. She doesn't go back to that church to get help. Um, she seeks out this Black woman, and that's the woman who gives her the tools. All the tools are necessary, and that's kind of what I got from your story about the altar. Take care of your altar, right. and it will take care of you. But it's like, we need all the tools. We need the doctors. We need this person. We need the altar. Like, everything kind of coming together. And I love that moment that she, they're both a little bit like, mm, who do we bring into this? You know what I mean? Like, when oh, she, yeah. she, she takes out that goat on the porch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure did. Like, they're like, uh, this is a lot, which is like real. You know what I mean? Like if someone cuts a goat's head off, like you're going to have a moment. I, I really appreciate it because we so often see a lot of these traditions depicted just as like straight up demon worship on so many shows, mm. tracing all the way back, not for nothing, to Lovecraft. Mm. You know, like Lovecraft showed... Um, folks doing diasporic religions in the woods and like sacrificing children and doing all kinds of horrible shit, acting like that's, you know, what it is. And it's not. 
but that's the common, you know, understanding. So I love that this episode was really like this bullshit that he was laying out. We're going to show you what it really is about and we're going to use it against him. You know, it's like, how do we use it to heal? How do we use it as a tool of resistance and survival? And there's examples of that. And I think of those as counter narratives, much like, you know, the show is a counter narrative to Lovecraft's racist mythology, right? Like, I think we do the same thing with religion sometimes. Um, when we look at Santeria, right, like it, it's... The history of that tradition is folks using Catholicism to mask their practice so that they could survive. And that, you know, is what made it into what it became, which is a syncretic and very complex, you know, combination of lots of things that's rooted in an African tradition. And then it changed again in, in so many different ways when it came to the states, right? Right. And, and so there's a creativity to that, you know, in the way that the, the religion itself and the tradition itself changed and became fluid in all that. And that's, you know, what, what brought us to that moment where, where someone's showing up at the door with a goat and doing, you know, this traditional practice and, and calling on Oya and calling on the ancestors and, and doing all this different work. You know, that's that's survival. Right. I, you know, I just think it's like how, like with anything, like with art, like with literature, you know, it's like, how do we use it to heal? How do we use it as a tool of resistance and survival? Yes. And I love that when we talk about survival, like you keep using the word resistance, which is so fucking important for this show. So I want you to just talk a little bit more um, specifically about how you personally see spirituality as being a form of resistance. One thing like that really drew me into the into like Santeria is something I carry in my blood and um you know I've just always felt deeply the moment that I was really like became a part of the community was being at a bembe you know a ceremony and seeing black and brown people respecting each other so deeply and like being in community with each other and as a brown person that really blew my mind and you know because there's so much like I've been talking about anti-blackness in our communities in ways that we distance ourselves and try to get closer to whiteness you know so for me, I was like, holy shit, you know, this is a place where we commune with spirit together um, and a place that's rooted in, in God, you know, and in different forms of, of just worship and healing. There is like, you know, human shit in that. And there are ways that even in that sacred space, anti-blackness is still enacted, you know, and like sacred things are kept from the folks that, you know, need to have them the most, you know, so that's. I think it's it's very much connected to this conversation about like loving forms of literature like Lovecraft and also being able to critique it, you know, like same for folks in the church, same for folks in the synagogue. Like, how do we honor ourselves and our traditions and also critique them when they're fucked up? Yeah, that's that's a religious practice. That's about balance. You know, how do we honor the the writing that we love and also say this was fucked up, you know, and we're going to take from it and and. Like, you know, just like Letty does with different religions and different traditions, she's going to take what she needs to survive, not even disrespectfully, but just say, like, we need this right now. We need to call on the ancestors. We also need God. We also need all these pieces. And what we come up with is something brand new and something absolutely beautiful and forged from our resistance and our need to survive and hopefully Woo. from love. Yes. Mm. Daniel. Power to the people. <laughs> This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. Thank you all for having me on. I'm very happy to have been here. Can't wait to talk to you more about yeah. the show oh, yeah. as Bring it continues. Back. I have a lot to say, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. We love to see it. Thank you, Daniel. All right, y'all. Bye. All right, it was a ton of fun to get to talk with Daniel. Oh, my God. He's so much Amazing. fun. He's so smart. Such a good friend. 
Um, but we want to get back to Letty, who's not only dealing with resurrections of the undead with, uh, by herself, she is the resurrection of the undead. But we also have this arc of reconnecting with her spiritual beliefs in different ways, somehow managing to feel connected to this larger conversation about resistance and about, you know, sort of, I guess the right way to say it is sticking up for yourself. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, so Letty gets this big house in a very white part of town. And, you know, we have that title card at the beginning of the episode that says a group of 10 black folks who moved into a white neighborhood in 1955 and three went missing a week later. Pioneering is dangerous. I think we talked about this on the last episode. Like, we are abolishing the phrase, we are not our ancestors. We are not using that. And I say that because I'm like, the very act of buying a home in this neighborhood and staking out claim to a space that has said that you're not welcome there is fucking revolutionary. And it is obviously a form of resistance. She's the first Black person in this neighborhood. And that is not a small thing. We could have done an episode just about that without the ghosts, and it would have been wild. Oh, yeah. Um, but that in and of itself is such... Uh, such a moment. And the fact that also Letty plans to use the house to organize for her community. She's not entirely successful in the beginning because, again, she's not quite going about it the right way. Um, I love that line where Ruby reminds her later, like, you moved all your friends into the house. You moved the artists and the writers in. That's not the community necessarily. Those are your friends and right. you have to think a little bit bigger. And I, the reason that that's really important, and we talked about this a lot on the show, and I think it's important today because in a world with social media, I do think there is not always room to grow, especially as an activist. Um, and it's not that I believe in cancel culture per se, but I just like the idea of Letty being a flawed activist, somebody who was doing one thing before and is now trying to make the adjustment. Okay, I'm going to buy this big house and it's going to be for the community. Wait, my sister pointed out something really true, which is like, this isn't activism purely. Like, I wanted this house and I wanted to hang out with all of my friends. How can I make that adjustment? And over the course of the episode, she makes that adjustment. I just feel like that's important for all of us in this particular time during an uprising that's going to be ongoing. Give yourself permission to grow as an activist in the way that that Letty is doing. There's this small moment that I just have to bring up because this also speaks to resistance. And as we know, the family is not telling the truth, the entire truth to Hippolyta about what happened to George. And she's starting to feel it. And it comes up in this episode. But there's this fucking great line where she says to Montrose, I know you and Tick took care of that man. I don't need to know the details. And I just want to take a moment to say, like, that is also our show. Mm -hmm. We are just casually throwing it out there that Hippolyta knows for a fact they killed the sheriff who killed her husband. I just want to acknowledge that history of our people. Like, if you think that we didn't bust back, sometimes we did. There's, again, resistance on so many different levels. 
I am here for all of it. And I want to thank Hippolyta for delivering that line so perfectly. And then we have this concept of people over property, which is ongoing in this country. Oh, for sure. There's this real tension um, in this country now, and not just now, but for some time now, where Black death is often justified if it's considered a threat to white property. We've seen that be defended by the state over and over again. We've seen men be acquitted after killing Black children because they claim they thought the Black child was stealing something or robbing someone. Um, And that is ultimately considered a reasonable reason to end a life. And that has been true for a long time. This is a capitalist country. Um, And people's property are how they maintain or develop their wealth. And because money is considered life, Turns out it's a life for a life. But money being considered a life is only true to some people. Um, And that's how we get where we are, to be perfectly honest. Um, They put up a sign after Letty moves into this house. And I've got to say really quickly, Letty moving into this house brought up some really uncomfortable feelings for me. Because I love old gothic looking houses. I mean, go figure. Right. Right. (laughs) I love that shit. And there have been so many times when I've seen houses like that, when I've thought about buying houses like that, and I look at the neighborhood and the demographics of it and decide that, and specifically have said many times when I made the decision, I'm not a pioneer. Mm. That's Mm -hmm. what I've said every time. I'm not going there because I'm not a pioneer. Yeah. I love that you're saying that, too, because we also talked in the writer's room about, like, that question. There's the other side of it, which is why integrate? Why pioneer? Um, I think there's a line in the episode. If it's not in the episode, we did talk about it. But Ruby was like, you could have bought a big ass house on the south side. Yeah. That's a valid question, too. Why do this? Why go in there and put yourself at risk? And I think the answer is... Because we fucking belong here, because we fucking belong anywhere we want, because right. we're Americans. Whether that feels true all the time or not, we can live wherever the fuck we want. So fuck you. And it's clear that the community does not agree. Yeah. <laughs> they yes. make it very clear almost immediately. Um, that sign that gets puts out, that get that gets put out that says, We are a white community. Undesirables must go. That was wild. Oh yeah. To me, we are a white community. Undesirables must go. Like first of all, we can't even be named. Second of all, that sign was mad professional looking. <laughs> Who made that sign? Like did they just have those around in case black people moved in or did somebody no, like, go somebody down to the sign it. shop and was like I mean, that wasn't a hand-painted sign, was it? No. I Like, I mean, just watching it in the show, I remember just being like, wow. Like, in my mind, I'm like, I don't care how much it costs. Somebody had to spend money on having this sign made. And they probably had multiple signs made that say this. 
And it's strange, I think, sometimes to realize how deep somebody can get into an action or a thought process <laughs> and, and, and do something incredibly cruel like that. And it's like, as you were describing the sign, I'm like, yeah, that's true. All, all the energy you put into that sign, and you could have just sat there and ate your fucking food. Same thing for all the other white people, you know, showing up, the, the bricks placed over the horns to blast yes. noise into the home. Um, that is a real thing that used to happen. And right. Atticus mentions it's a tool used, it's a form of torture, right? right? We are going to torture you with noise. We are going to torture you with excessive heat. He knows a little bit about this. We'll find out more on that later. But you have all of these things happening. Um, all the things that you expect to happen in an episode about a woman moving into a white neighborhood. But I, as I always say, I'm also very proud of the fact that in every episode, I think there's always a moment where we highlight Black joy and Black joy right. as resistance, as also just like we're fucking partying and we're having sex in bathrooms because yep. that's what you do at a party sometimes. I have. Um, so we love the party. It was it was so amazing. And just seeing all those beautiful people dancing and eating and, you know, there's a turn at the end. But what's so great about this fucking incredible scene with Letty and the baseball bat, that too, I don't know about you, I felt joy. Uh, Shirley oh, I Caesar, felt joy. Shirley Caesar's playing in the background, the soundtrack to her busting the windows out of the car. I felt amazing. Oh, it sparked joy for me. Absolutely. And can I just say that one of the things that sparked joy for me in that moment was that when she grabbed that bat, Atticus and these men grabbed their guns. Mm. And they went out there and they just stood and waited as she busted these windows. And they didn't put those guns down. Yep. And they didn't do or say anything to anybody until the cops showed up. The organization. You know what I mean? The organization. The organization of it in that moment. But also... I can't remember the last time I've seen in a film men gather to protect a black woman Ooh. like that. I cannot Ooh. think of the last time or moment I've seen a scene where a black woman was protected in the midst of her reasonable rage. Mm -hmm. I can't think of anything. So that absolutely blew me away. That's a community. That's a community. Yeah. And what, you know, what Daniel was saying earlier about, like, you're supposed to draw on different communities and have communities. And sometimes you all come together. And I do think that that's a lesson that Letty is learning. Like, wh what is my community? Who are they? I think she's really starting to understand, like, I'm not in this alone. The The more real I am, the more I can build with this community. So I love that scene, too. Um, and just fucking community. And somebody write that essay about why Ashley can't remember a scene where a black woman in a moment of rage is supported by a group of black men. And, and where is that scene and why aren't we seeing that? And what do we need to rectify? We'll leave you guys with some references and recommendations just coming off of episode three, The Holy Ghost. Um, we have Count of Monte Cristo, Dracula, 13 Ghosts, The Exorcist, Beloved, let's talk a little bit about Shirley Caesar and some gospel that people need to get into, Ashley. I love Shirley Caesar and Dorinda Clark. Yes. The 
fucking iconic Clark Sisters movie on Lifetime. You're not ready, but you need to watch it because you need to understand what's going on around here. We got a dope New York Times article, God's Monsters and H.P. Lovecraft's Uncanny Legacy. The My House series featuring Precious Ebony and many more iconic trans and queer dancers, which this show actually introduced me to Precious Ebony in that is that has been a lovely, lovely rabbit hole uh, to fall down. Finally, you know, go check out 100 Years of Weird Fear by Daniel Jose Older. And a little extra, finally, he has an amazing YA series called Shadowscaper um, that deals with elements of spirituality as resistance for young people in New York City. And it's really, really great. Yes, we love it. So that is our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. This show is hosted by us. I'm Shannon Houston. And I'm Ashley C. Ford. This podcast was produced by HBO in conjunction with Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, and Barry Finkel. Aganaresh Ashagre is our managing producer. The episode's lead producer is Jess Jupiter. And our associate producers are Alexis Moore and Natalie Brennan. Our editors are Maddie Sprung-Kaiser and Josh Gwynn. Noriko Okabe is our engineer. Original music by composer Amanda Jones. If you like the show and you have a minute, you can review and rate this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you might get your podcasts. It really helps people find the show. You can also stream the podcast on HBO and HBO Max. We'll be back next week for episode four, which premieres on HBO and streams on HBO Max on September 6th at 9 p.m. Eastern. See you then. See you then.